All right, well, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Chapter 15 tonight, so let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here in this place and worship you and study your word. And we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach us uh, practically the truth that's before us tonight. And Lord, uh, remind us that uh, even though we're saved as Christians from the, the power of sin, it's still a very... Uh, present entity we have to deal with in our lives. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, uh, draw out the truths from this chapter tonight and apply them to our hearts. And we pray for Jenna and others, Lord, who couldn't make it tonight. Pray for her trip, that you would just bless her and give her a good, uh, safe trip home. And uh, we just uh, lead us and guide us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week we looked at the end of chapter... 14, we've been talking about the rise and fall of Saul, and we're on the downward slope of his demise, and it's kind of been an interesting journey as we've followed his rise to leadership, and then eventually his falling away from the Lord altogether. Uh, but now we come to the, the section here in ver- chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, where it's kind of the final stage in his demise. Uh, God rejects Saul as king, and uh, he completes his downward slide, you might say. If you, if you just look at verses 22 and 23, it kind of highlights the, the point of this chapter. It says, And Samuel said, Has the Lord, as the Lord, or Yahweh, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of Yahweh. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you rejected the word of Yahweh, and he also rejected you from being king. That kind of tells us where we're going to go tonight, but it really gives us a insight into Saul's ultimate demise. I mean, God gave him everything he needed to succeed, but we saw that he he fell because of his own prideful, selfish choices at times, and uh, we've seen these distinct steps here where it's disobedience, it's pride, it's self-deception, ultimately leads to God rejecting him as king. And I guess the, the, the point tonight we want to remind ourselves of as Christians is that even though Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he defeated the record of our sin, right? Our sins are forgiven because of his work. Paul tells us, if you turn over to Romans chapter 7, that we aren't freed <clears throat> necessarily from the presence of sin. And we've been through this, but I just wanted to read it because it's a healthy reminder for us. He describes us as having to deal with, you might think of it as sin as a corpse that's kind of tied to us, and we're dragging it around this world with us everywhere we go, even though it's dead. And look at verse <coughs> Look at verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know nothing, that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members or my body another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he finally cries out in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives thanks to God. Verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So sin is something even though its power is broken for the believers, <coughs> we still live in a sinful world. We still deal with a sinful body. We, uh, unfortunately, still deal with, have to deal with the, the felt presence of sin all around us, all the time. It's never going to go away as long as we're on this side of glory. Now, the Bible says that one day we'll be freed from even that, right? We'll be pre- freed even from the presence of sin. But we're not there yet. And until we get there, it's going to be a struggle. Every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, until we are freed from this body. In other words, we die, or the Lord comes back. <clears throat> so that's something to look forward in death. You'll be freed from the presence of sin and, and ushered into the presence of God. And it just sin doesn't go away. It keeps showing up. You know, you never totally, completely conquer sin. And we've all had issues in our life where, you know, whatever it might be, you know, we think, okay, we finally got a grip on it, and then, boom, it pops its ugly head back up. Now, as believers, hopefully, through the power of the Spirit, we understand that the power of sin has no place in our lives, so we don't have to give in to it. Uh we win probably more fights than we lose, hopefully, with sin. Because that's the advantage of being a believer. That's the advantage of having the Holy Spirit, right? If you're a Christian and every fight that you have with sin you lose, I would have to scratch my head and say, well, are you really a Christian? (laughs) There's something wrong there. You have no spiritual power in your life. But for the most part, you're going to win these fights, but occasionally you fall, you're going to sin. Even... Paul, as we read, dealt with that. And the New Testament speaks to that, right? I mean, when you think of the New Testament, it speaks using illustrations for believers such as farmers who were constantly working. I mean, my brother Tom was a farmer. And I don't think that guy ever took a vacation. He never rested, ever. He couldn't. I mean, you know, the animals just don't stop eating. (laughs) You can't just go on vacation and leave. Every day it was work, 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 work. There was always a list of chores and just chores that need to be done, chores that were hopefully going to be done. I mean, it just never ended. And that's the way the life of a farmer is a lot of times. Well, the Christian is 
illustrated as being. We're also called athletes. And if you know anything about athletes, athletes do what? They train. They continually are training. Why? Because they want to be the best at what they're doing. We're also given the illustration of soldiers in the New Testament. Christians are like soldiers, Paul says. Well, what do soldiers do? They're always fighting. They're always in a war. That's, that's their role in life. And so as we, we trace Saul's final descent here today, we're going to look at each of these steps that first being the, the disobedience and then the pride and so forth. And we're going to track them in his life throughout this chapter. And then we can see how that applies to decisions even in our own lives as believers. So in the first six verses here, we, the first point basically in your outline is this. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Uh, sometimes we think that if we obey God in part, that he'll give us a pass on the rest. That's not how God works. That's just not how it works. You know, with our children, with our grandchildren, you see that a lot of times, right? Well, I did this, this, and this. Yeah, but you didn't do that, that, and that that I asked you to do. Well, no. So you were disobedient. See, they think maybe the scales would help them out. But that's not what God says. Uh, Partial obedience is still disobedience in the eyes of God. Look at verses 1 through 6. And this, just to let you know, this chapter is a tough chapter. It's just a tough chapter even to go through. I mean, how it ends and everything. It's just, wow, just crazy. But it's, it's very telling and it has a lot of application for us as believers. So first of all, God's commands are not always easy to obey. Look at verses 1 to 6. And Samuel said to Saul, <coughs> Yahweh <coughs> sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. And whenever you see the word Lord... In the Old Testament, it's all caps. That's just another, it's a, it's a title that refers to Yahweh. And uh, God is a person, so we're going to refer to him not as a title, but as a person. So, Yahweh sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel. He had a major... Uh, uh, battle beforehand, years ago. And he affected Israel in a diverse way. In opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Verse 3. Now go and strike Amalek and devout to destruction all they have. This is pretty clear. Do not spare them, but kill both men, women, child, infant, Ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. In other these people are slated for ultimate destruction. We're not to allow any of any of them to live, any of their animals to live, any of their children to live. That's a hard. That's a hard thing. So it says in verse. So Saul summoned the people <coughs> and numbered them in Telaim, two hundred thousand men on foot. A lot of people. He got everybody he could because he knew it was going to be a tough thing, and 10,000 men of Judah. Verse 5, And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the uh, Kenites, Go depart, go down from among 
the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So, you know, this is Moses' father-in-law, basically, who the, the Kenites were. He was a Kenite. And so they showed grace to Israel when they came up. The Amalekites took advantage of them. And uh, when they did this, you know, God doesn't forget things like that. And so here we see God's commands are not always easy to obey. I mean, this is a tough thing to do. I mean, whether God tells you to do it or not, right? I mean, can you imagine God telling you, okay, I want you to go into this country, and I want you to kill everybody, everything, babies, everything. Just wipe them out completely. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I mean, that would be a questionable thing to do, right? And that's where our mind goes. And that's why I say that the commands of God are not always easy to obey. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, and we don't have the time nor, you know, to, to, to do everything here. But what's, what's important is, I know what's going through our minds. We're wondering, why would God command the Israelites to totally destroy people? I mean, what did this baby do? What did this child do? What did this poor cow do? Okay. All the women. How can that possibly be right? I mean, what kind of God is this? It sounds like a monster, not a God. And if you were just to stop there and walk away, you'd probably think just that. But you, you have to stop and you have to realize what is our mindset here? Is God a righteous God? Is God a just God? Is God a holy God? Could God ever do anything wrong? Could God ever sin? No. So, in the economy of God, this command is right on. This is something that he asked Saul and the army of Israel to do, and he did so unapologetically. He didn't say, well, you know, this is going to be tough. And he said, this is what I want you to do. And, and what you have to come down to understand in this, this context is that you're talking about God who is the creator, the giver of life. He's the one who created these people. He knows everything about these people. Uh, Somehow we have to come to terms, basically to boil it all down, is that God has to have more significance than people. Bottom line. And that's a tough sell for most people, especially in our society today. You know, you've probably heard the, maybe read the book, but uh, Rabbi Kushner, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's not the proper question. The whole, the whole premise of that book is wrong because he's asking the wrong question. See, the right question would be, why would anything ever good happen to bad people? Because we're all bad people. There's no such thing as a good person. That's what we just read in Romans, right? There's no good thing that dwells in me. So we have to come to terms with this in our own mind, and as a Christian especially, to say, you know what? In God's economy, God has more significance than people. God has to stand over the value of people. 
We have to be more concerned about God's point of view than people's point of view. And what this boils down to is what? Where is your world view? Where are you coming from? Are you coming from a man-centered worldview? Where it's all concerned about what we think and what's best for us and save the planet? Or are we coming from a, a God's point of view? From a biblical worldview? Because if you're coming from the man-centered point of view, then saving the earth and all the people and doing all the stuff they want to do to, you know, save the, the, the trees, and all, that's, it makes logical sense, Right? I mean, doesn't that make sense? I mean, you know, why would you purposely want to harm the world you're going to live in forever? Well, that's fine if you believe that, but a biblical worldview says what? One day, this is all going to be burned up anyway. Now, we're, we're given to be stewards. You know, you shouldn't go out and just cut down trees to cut down trees. But we also shouldn't buy into the fact of, you know, us puny little people are so adversely affecting this planet that pretty soon the oceans are going to be up over the shores and global warming. and I mean, you know, they just sound the alarms. And it makes perfect sense if you're coming from a man-centered point of view. It really does. But when you stop and think about it, don't you think God can overrule all that? I think he can. So God has to have more significance to us than people. His glory should be more important to us than ourselves or anybody else. That sounds hard. That sounds tough. But that's what the Bible really indicates. He's not willing to share his glory with any. Now, consolation prize here, Israel never does what they're told to do. (laughs) Even though they're told to go in and wipe everybody out, every time God gives them that command concerning a nation, they never do it. So, It's almost like, God, I know you're not going to do this, but I'm going to tell you to do this anyway, because these people are so wicked that in my economy, there's no hope for them, period. And if God concludes there's no hope for a certain element, then there's no hope. So it comes down to having that, that proper view on things. Uh, But somehow Israel always disobeys and allows some people to live. I guess you can boil it down and say this. God is always just in his actions. He's always just in his actions. And this is a very unique time in the Old Testament. And God chose to bring his just judgment of sin upon the Amalekites at this time. And he was using the nation of Israel to do it. So we could say, well, isn't that wrong? No. Why? Because God is doing it. And there can be no wrong with God. Now, it doesn't really make it easier for us to understand, nor did it make it easier for Saul to do. Stop and think about it. We're quick to blame Saul here, but he was given kind of a hard task to do. But, as I said, God's commands are not easy to obey. Just think of some commands that Jesus gave us. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, an instrument of death, and follow me. That's your life as a Christian. What are you called to as a Christian? Well, 
Deny yourself. <laughs> What's that mean? Don't give yourself what you want. Constantly. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Saturdays. Seven days a week, 24-7. You're, you're to deny yourself. Then what? Then you've got to die to yourself. Take up your cross. <laughs> Take up his cross and follow me. <clears throat> now, the cross isn't the aching, you know, arthritis, you know, oh, I'm bearing my cross. That's not what we're talking about. The cross here is an instrument of death. So, really, what, what Jesus was saying was, you know what, you not only have to deny yourself, you literally have to die to yourself. In other words, you have to come to terms and say, I don't exist anymore. It's not about me anymore. That is not an easy thing to do. You can't do that on your own. The only way that can ever happen is when God transforms your heart, right? And he gives you the new desires. And pretty soon, the old desires, the desires all about yourself and what you want, they they can kind of take second place because you realize what God has done for you and how he's changed you. And these are are life-giving commands that Christ gives to us. And when we listen to the voice of Christ and follow them, now we're not going to do it 100% of the time. See, that's where God's grace comes in. Because whenever we fall into sin, we're not dying to ourselves, right? We're we're listening to ourselves. So partial obedience is still disobedience. God's commands are not always uh, easy to obey. But then we come to verses 7 and 9. God's commands are to be fully obeyed. You can't just do part of it and get a pass. Look at what he says in verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. First mistake. Um, and he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag, Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All this was despised and worthless all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So they're not only not easy to obey, but God demands full obedience. Uh, what did Saul do? He, he did part of what God told him to do. He didn't do the whole thing. He did part of it. Where did he fall short? Well, he spared Agag and maybe some of the other people, obviously, because the the Amalekites harassed them for years, I mean, in the future. This group of people. All right, so that's why we know he didn't even kill all the people. He spared the king. He took the sword there to to the people. But obviously he didn't kill them all because they're still around. And they still create havoc down the road, as we're going to find out a little later on in the book. But he kept whatever... What? He considered good. Notice that? Uh, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, what they evaluated to be good. 
they said, well, we're going to set this aside and we're going to keep this. Um, and he destroyed whatever he considered to be bad. Now, God told him, you need to wipe everything out. It's all doomed for destruction. But Saul's obedience was only partial. And uh, partial obedience, as we've already said, is not obedience. Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Psalm 119, 4 and 5. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. God's commands, when he tells us to do things, he doesn't, he expects us to fully obey whatever he tells us to do. 100% compliance. You can't do 99% and God's going to give you a pass on 1%. Now that paints a pretty dismal outlook if you think about it because who's going to be able to do that? There's only one person that could ever do that and that was Jesus Christ. But that's exactly why we need a Savior. Because we're fallen in our nature. We can't keep perfectly keep God's commands. That's impossible. And see, when, when Jesus died on that cross... He offered up his perfect life because it was perfect in every way. Jesus never sinned while he was here on earth. He was perfect, the perfect God-man. And yet he offered up his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins so that everyone who would believe in his sacrifice, in him, would be saved. Well, why did they need to be saved? Because they couldn't keep it. (laughs) They couldn't do the 100%. Only Jesus perfectly obeyed. The rest of us are all operating on partial obedience, right? We may be good for a while, and then uh, we sin. Well, that's disobedience. All partial obedience is still disobedience. Well, the second thing here is pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before a fall. Look at verse 10. It says, The word of Yahweh came to Samuel... Remember, Samuel's kind of at this point in his life where he kind of quit. <laughs> kind of said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> See how this is going to end. But he's still around. He's still a spiritual kind of leader here, but he's not. So it says, the word of the Lord, or Yahweh, came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commands. And Samuel was angry, and he cried out to Yahweh all night. This shows us here that when we sin, when we do not do what God expects us to do or commands us to do, we grieve the heart of God. We grieve the heart of God. It it says there that the word that, that... the Lord Yahweh spoke to Samuel was, I regret that I have made Saul king. At this point, Samuel's probably going, duh, <laughs> I've been trying to tell him that for, you know, right? I mean, because remember, he tried to talk the people out of it. Don't do this. This is not going to end well for you folks. No, we want Saul as king. We want a king. We want a king. So they rejected Samuel's spiritual leader, and ultimately they rejected God as their leader. And they said, we want somebody like everybody else has. They can fight our battles for us and all that stuff. And so you can see where they they ultimately turn their back on God. 
Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so when you grieve God, or when you sin, you grieve God. That's the first point here. Uh, God knows everything there is to know about us, right? I mean, he's, he's omniscient. So he knew that Saul was going to turn away from him. He knew that Saul was not going to be a good king. But even though he knew Saul was going to fall, he was still grieved when he did it. And in the ESV, it says, I regret that I have made Saul king. And some people say, well, how can God regret that? Uh, How does that work? We're going to talk a little bit about that a little later on because he closes off the end of the chapter with the same terminology. He says, I regret. I regret this. And we'll, we'll talk about that then. But we need to remember that when we sin, we also grieve the heart of God. And this is what this is. It's, it's grieving the heart of God. Uh, Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of your redemption. You know, I, I honestly believe that when we're tempted to sin, if we could somehow remember, just in that second, that instant of that temptation, how much sin grieves the heart of God, we'd probably not do it. You know, it's like a child. You know, a child has no problem being disobedient to the parents when the parents aren't around, right? Most kids, I mean, they'll just do whatever. And, you know, think, well, I won't get caught or whatever. But if the parent's right there with them, well, they, they don't do it. They don't do it for a while. They don't want to get in trouble. But they don't want to disappoint their parents. They don't want to, there's a lot of motivation there to do the right thing. And sometimes I think we think that God is somehow devoid of knowledge of what we do on occasion when we sin. And somehow he's removed from that. No, he's right there with us. I mean, maybe the proper thought would be the next time we are enticed to sin is to stop and say, well, how would we act if Jesus was standing right there? Would I still lose my temper? Would I still think that lustful thought? Would I still do that if Jesus was right there with me? Most likely not. We would turn away from it. Uh, we need to be reminded of that, that Christ is there. He is there with us. Second point here is pride and sin always go together. Look at verse 12. Here's Samuel. He's, he's irritated. He's angry. It says he cried to Yahweh all night long. So he's, he's really beside himself. And I think it's not so much, uh, I knew this would happen, but I think that Samuel totally understood what it meant to grieve the heart of God. And I think as God's representatives, he's feeling that, he's sensing that same grief. And so in verse 12 it says, And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument, look at this, for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Gilgal is where they do the the whole ceremonial thing. But pride and sin always go together. When you we grieve God and sin, you can almost 
know that your pride is involved somehow. So here's Samuel, or Saul. They get this big, uh, Samuel goes down to meet Saul. And where's Saul at? He, he's out building statues of himself. Uh, they had this, well, partial victory. They could have had a full victory if they just would have done what God told them to do, but they didn't. But it's still, they were victorious in their battle. And instead of coming back and giving God the glory, what's he doing? He's building a, a monument for himself. Look at me. Look at what I've done. And this is so that all the people might know. And you can see where his pride is coming into play here. Remember, this is the same guy who, when Saul anointed him king, they were having their little ceremony, remember, before the people a couple chapters ago, and they couldn't even find Saul. Where was he? He was hiding among the baggage, remember? Like Mr. Humble Bumble. Oh, no, no, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this. Obviously, he's kind of come into himself here a little too much now. And he set up this monument, not for the glory of God or for his own, uh, but for instead for his own honor. Uh, now, you know, we may not go around building statues of ourselves or, uh, you know, sometimes we, we might have even a, you know, a photograph of our family or whatever. And, you know, that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, it's it's a little unnerving sometimes when you when you walk into people's houses and you know over the fireplace they have this huge photograph of themselves or whatever. It's just kind of odd to me. It's odd. Nothing wrong with it, but it's just kind of like whoa. This is you know. It's just you know maybe it's old school they used to do. That. I don't know, but uh, you know sometimes I see that and I just kind of chuckle like wow. Um, but here's what Samuel. This is what Saul is doing. He's building a monument to him. Self. Now, we may not do that, obviously, in, in that way, uh, but we build monuments in our own way, in our own society. Sometimes we can brag about our own accomplishments, or um, we maybe refuse to give someone else credit for something and take credit for ourselves. Um, sometimes, you know, those of you who are into social media, you know, sometimes you have to catch yourself and monitor your. Your, your stuff you're putting out there. Because it's like, is this all about you? Is that all, all it is? Uh, that's kind of what it is. You know, Facebook. You know, it's just the whole thing. Um, but when you, when you stop and you, you think of this, you just have to ask the question, are you using your influence to encourage <clears throat> and serve others? Or are you just building one big monument of yourself to the world? If that's the case, then pride definitely is playing a part into it. And so pride is, is sinful in every way, and sin is prideful. Sin in and of itself is basically open rebellion against the God who created you. It's, it's like standing in front of God and saying, I'm going to do this, I don't care what you say. That's what sin is. So pride is sinful, and sin is prideful. Uh, you're, you're choosing your way over God's way when you sin. If that's not what pride is, I don't know what is. But uh, Proverbs 8.13 calls us to fear the Lord. It says this, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. 
So pride and sin and evil, they're all like a web tied together. You can't separate sin from pride. So disobedience or obedience, partial obedience is always disobedience. Pride goes before a fall. And then on the back of your outline there, sin is deceptive. Look at verse 13. Sin is deceptive. And Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed to you, to Yahweh, I have performed the commandment of Yahweh. (laughs) Don't think you did there, Saul. Remember the last time he came out to meet Samuel? What happened? He had Samuel told him, hey, wait seven days, and I'll come and we'll do this little consecration thing and I'll do a sacrifice and the people started to get rambunctious Saul got nervous so what did he do he did the sacrifice himself remember and remember it told us that Samuel was approaching what did Saul do he ran out to him you know away from the people like ah, I gotta get to this guy you know and Samuel's going oh what's the smoke what's the I'm smelling something what's going on well I already did the sacrifice because I didn't think you were going to come and, the, and it's the people's fault they were getting rambunctious and they weren't leaving they were leaving they were they were listening to me and you know he, he's constantly this is his mo what he does he does the same thing here all right he hears samuel coming samuel came to saul and saul said to him oh blessed be you to yahweh i have performed the commandment of yahweh verse 14 and samuel said well, wait a minute. What's the, the bleeding of the sheep I'm hearing in my ears and the lowing of the oxen I hear? If you did completely what God had told you to do, I shouldn't be hearing any of those things because they should all be dead. But that's not the case. And here, Saul kicks in with his regular MO. He starts to justify, and this is the other point, don't justify your sin. Then uh, uh, Saul said, they, they, the people, have brought them from the Amalekites. Well, you know, Samuel's probably going, well, I thought you were supposed to kill all the Amalekites and their animals. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Yahweh, look at what it says, your God. See that? little difference. So all of a sudden... Wait, you're going to come here and you're going to accuse me of something? Well, it's your God. That's your issue. And the people wanted to do the right thing and have the sacrifice for your God, Samuel. See the, the distance he's putting between him and God because of his sin? And he says, and, and by the way, you know, the rest we have devoted to destruction. So we kind of did what you said. Now, we did partially obey this thing, but, you know, I mean, they look really good. You know, they're going to be good when we eat them. I mean, I I can't expect us to do that, to kill them. That's perfect. That'd be like throwing out a, a meal. He begins to justify. And Samuel, I love this response. Samuel said to Saul, stop. In other words, just shut up. Shut your mouth. 
No, that, don't. <laughs> Stop. That's what he's doing. I will tell you what Yahweh said to me this night. Because obviously you don't have the common sense to understand when Yahweh speaks. Because he didn't stutter a little couple verses ago when he told you to go in and wipe these people out. He didn't say, well, if, the, if some of the livestock looks good, you can take some of the spoils. For no, he didn't say that. He said, wipe them all out, period. He didn't say, spare the king. He said, wipe them out. So Samuel said, just stop talking, Saul. Stop justifying your sin. I will tell you what Yahweh said to me this night. And he said, okay, speak. What was Saul's problem? Saul was honestly blinded by his own sin. He was blinded by his own sin. He could not see his own sin. As a matter of fact, he walks right up to Samuel. And remember, you know, at Gilgal, they're they're having this big kind of celebration of this victory. All the soldiers are there. You know, and Samuel, or Saul sees Samuel coming. He doesn't want the confrontation right there in front of everybody. So he runs out to meet him. That's what he's doing. And he meets Samuel probably out here in this field, and he begins to have this confrontation with him. Hey, Samuel, just let you know, we did everything we're supposed to do. Well, no, you didn't, because <laughs> I'm hearing these animals, and it uh, doesn't, doesn't seem like you did everything you're supposed to do, Saul. Well, we did most of it, because, well, the people made me do it, because they wanted the best, and, and we, the stuff that wasn't any good, we threw that out. Got rid of that. And so Samuel just says, stop, stop, stop. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Um, And Saul just can't find it within himself at this point to say, yeah, you're right, I blew it. Oh, the sheep? The, uh, that, that was the soldier's idea. You know, they spared the best because they worked so hard. You can just see him coming up with all kinds of, of justice for his sin. And God just wants us sometimes to just stop, confess our sin to God, and then you can move on. But sometimes, that's not an easy thing to do. That can be a very difficult thing to do. Especially if you're blinded by your own sin. But, verse 17, God's kindness should prompt us to obedience. Look at what Samuel says in verse 17. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Has Yahweh anointed you king over Israel? Verse 18, and Yahweh sent you on a mission and said, Go, devout to destruction the sinners and the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. That means there's nobody left. There's not one living thing left. And then he says, Why then do you not obey the voice of Yahweh? Why do you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of Yahweh? He's asking Saul this 
question. I mean, God has been very gracious to Saul. God has been very good to Saul. He took him from absolutely nothing, had him anointed as king, he gave him everything he needed to succeed as king. And yet Saul, because of his own sinfulness, his own poor decisions, his own pride, and one of those decisions was to forget about God's kindness to him. I mean, that was really the problem of the nation of Israel as well, right? That's why they wanted a real king, because they forgot about how God was so kind to them and how God was so faithful to them. They, they looked away from God and they said, no, we want, we want this man as our king. See, sometimes in the Christian life, we do the same thing. We forget about the faithfulness of God. And so we find ourselves in a trial or a tribulation. And what do we do? We run to everything else, everyone else. We got books and counselors and everything. And, and God is just saying, hey, I'm right here. Just come to me. Come to my word. I will help you through this. But somehow it just doesn't pop into our mind to go to the God that created us because he knows us best. Go to him first and trust him to take you through it. In Romans 2, 4, it says, Paul writes this, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? We sing a song, right? It's, it's, it's your kindness, O oh Lord, that leads us to repentance. We forget that. And the reason we forget it is because sin is deceitful. Sin is telling us, no, 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 work this out yourself. Don't go to God. That's embarrassing. You just figure this sin out yourself. You, you stay right here until you got it all right, and then you can go to God. That's what sin tells us. That's what pride tells us. And sin is so deceptive, sometimes even as believers, we can sometimes forget all that God has done for us and even how much we owe him. And so it's God's kindness, it's God's grace, it's God's love that leads us to repentance. It leads us into obedience. And then the last point here, verse 20, to obey is better than sacrifice. Um, this is a, a great section here because it really tells us I want to look up a song here. It really tells us what what God is looking for. We know that partial obedience is still disobedience. Pride goes before a fall. Sin is deceptive. And now to obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, look at verse 20. 20 to 23. This talks about rejecting God's word is open rebellion against God. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of Yahweh. I have gone on the mission on which Yahweh sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil. Sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted for destruction, to sacrifice to Yahweh your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as has the Lord as the Lord as great 
delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord or Yahweh. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and listen, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of Yahweh. He has also rejected you from being king. Wow. So, at this point, Saul tries to appeal. (laughs) He tries to say something, but Samuel just kind of shuts him down because Saul ultimately rejected the word of God. And because of that, God has rejected him. Whenever you get to the life where you're actually openly rejecting God's word, that's open rebellion against God. Uh, At that point, anything you do is meaningless. You can come to church. You can help the poor. You can sacrifice everything you have and, and give it away. But it doesn't mean a thing. And it's important to understand that because if we don't, uh, God is is going to teach us that lesson one way or another. Uh, I wanted to read the words of a song here, if I can find them. Um, and so our sacrifices are nothing before for God. He says there, to obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Therefore he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, Paul says, but who? But God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Rejecting God is rejecting, um, or rejecting God's word is rejecting God himself. I just want to read these, these words from Keith Green because this is an awesome song that he wrote. It's called, To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. It says this, To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. And I hear you say that I'm coming back soon, but you act like I'll never return. Well, you speak of grace and my love so sweet, how you thrive on milk, but reject my meat. And I can't help weeping of how it will be if you keep on ignoring my words. Well, you pray to prosper and succeed, but your flesh is something I just can't feed. (laughs) To obey is better than sacrifice. I want more than Sunday and Wednesday nights. Because if you can't come to me every day, then don't bother coming at all. (laughs) To obey is better than sacrifice. I want hearts of fire, not your prayers of ice. And I'm coming quickly to give back to you according to what you have done. Look it up on the, it's a great song. It's just a very touching rendition of this, this verse. Well, what are the consequences for disobedience? Well, they can be lasting and they can be painful. Look at verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, Finally, I have sinned. (laughs) For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. 
because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Some people wonder, was Saul's repentance here genuine? I don't think it was. The reason I don't think it was was because as soon as he says, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of Yahweh and your words, Samuel. But here's why I did it. (laughs) I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Now, he's not simply giving explanation. We all do that occasionally. But he goes on here and he says in verse 25, Now therefore, please pardon my sin. But then look what his motivation is. And return with me that I may bow before the Lord. What's he talking about? Remember, they're out in a field. All the people, all the soldiers, everybody's back here having this celebration of this victory. And they're waiting for Samuel to come and make an offering of, unto the Lord to kind of consecrate the whole victory thing. Saul sees Samuel coming and going, this isn't going to work. I've I got to go out and tell him what's really going on here. He goes out, kind of gives the excuse. Well, we've done everything. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> and rather than just saying, no, you're right, he starts this, this repentance. But it's not really heartfelt. It's more manipulized, manipulating, trying to manipulate Samuel to say, okay, I'm, I'll just confess out here in the field, and now, now come on back with me, and, and, and we'll do our stuff in front of the people so they can still see that I am in favor with God. That's what he's trying to get him to do. Well, look at what happens. Verse 26, And Samuel said to Saul, I'm not going to return with you. No. The answer is no. Sorry. I'm not going to play this game with you anymore. For you have rejected the word of Yahweh, and Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turns to walk away. And what Saul do? He reaches out and grabs him. So now they're wrestling in the middle of this field. <laughs> you can't, you know. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. So he's disrobing the priest, Samuel. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Wow. Puts him right in his place. Verse 29. And also, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. This is the second time that Samuel says this, points this out. Verse 30, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people. He does the same thing. And before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before Yahweh your God. And Samuel extends grace to him. I don't know why. I don't think I would have. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. This is a final act of desperation on Saul's part. Okay, I'm going to go through this. You know, it's like the kid that gets his hand stuck in the cookie jar. And okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I know I wasn't supposed to have one, but I did. And 
But you shouldn't have made those cookies anyway, Mom. You know how tempting they are. I mean, that's kind of what he's doing, right? I mean, he's just making excuse after excuse. I mean, by God's grace, this man has risen all the way to be king of Israel. But now through a series of all these bad choices and sinfulness and pridefulness, it's torn from him, and we're going to see that next week, and given to another. Uh, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 says this, do not, Paul writes, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What's Paul saying is sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. See, we live in a world where we think all we have to do is say we're sorry, okay, and then there's no consequences. Well, that's not reality. I mean, you may truly be sorry. But you know what? You may not have a marriage or a family anymore because of your sinful behavior. Those are the consequences. <laughs> See, we want the consequences to go away. But that's not real life. That's not what happens. A man reaps what he sows. I mean, God forgives our sin, does he not? Sure he does. But he doesn't always remove the consequences. I'm sure we've all been in situations where we've sinned and God has spared us the consequences by his grace. But he doesn't always do that. That's not the rule of the the, the road. And sometimes those consequences can be painful and can be lasting. And here is a perfect uh, example Saul's reaching out, he grabs his robe, and please go back with me, don't, uh, how embarrassing it's going to be to go back there and face all these men, and for them to see that you're not here is a, you know, it was just, and Samuel finds it within his heart, maybe God told him, we don't know, but Samuel goes back and they do the thing. And no one, no one, I don't even think Saul knew what was coming next. This is like the the capstone on the... Because you're thinking, okay, well, that's good. He repented. No, remember, sin has consequences. And not just for Saul, but for Agag as well. So they go back. They bow before the Lord. They do their little thing. And then Samuel says, oh, by the way, uh, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites, please. Oh, what's he going to do? And look it. No one had any idea. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Thinking, okay, you know, this is cool. It's going to let me go. It's going to let me go. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death has passed. <laughs> you know, they're saying, I guess everything worked out for you guys. You know, uh, you can just uh, take these uh, handcuffs off, take these ropes off my hands, and I'll be going my way. <laughs> Won't bother you again. And Samuel said this, As your sword has made women childless, talking about before, when the Amalekites attacked Israel, years ago, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel took a sword and he hacked Agag into pieces. 
before Yahweh and Gilgal. Wow. I mean, it's kind of a crazy story to tell Sunday school time, right? I mean, it's like kids' nightmares. I mean, he just didn't slice his throat like Isis does when it bleed out in the sand there. He hacked them to pieces. It says, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house, Gibeah of Saul, and Saul did not, Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And, look, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The question to ask is, is God saying he changed his mind here? Is God saying, I messed up? (laughs) Is it that kind of regret? Well, no, it can't be, right? Because of the nature of God. God does no wrong. God's perfect in every way. He's totally just. He can't sin. But his heart is grieved. You know, that, that's kind of the, the, the wording that's used there. He's not saying, oh, I wish I would have done something different. No. He's saying, man, it really grieves my heart that it worked out this way. But he's not saying it's wrong. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, when your kid gets in trouble and you have to punish him. Right? And you're saying, man, you know, you, you don't go in there going, I get to discipline my kid. You know, you go in there and you, you know, you say something silly like, well, this is going to hurt me more than it hurt you. Well, that's not always true, but in a way it is, right? It grieves your heart when your kids disobey and you have to apply discipline to them somehow. Well, that's, that's kind of what God is, is explaining here. I mean, it's, it's a tragic story i mean god had raised up saul out of these humble beginnings he gave him everything he needed to succeed as king but saul brought made every foolish mistake and decision foolish choices sinful decisions that he made and the way we apply that to us and and really i mean the whole hacking agog into pieces is really a a word picture for us that you know that's how much god hates sin that's what that represents the amalekites represented sin and god wasn't going to allow any of that to be sustained and so he used his servant samuel to give them a picture look this is this is the word of god this you can't mess around with this you can't bend it and shape it to whatever you want it to be and that's where you know, in our modern-day society where there is no truth, everything's relative, right? I mean, when you speak truth into a situation where it demands it, you know, people's eyes roll back in their heads. Like, what are you saying? They can't comprehend it. But God has given us everything we need to succeed. He gave us his Son. He gave us our salvation. He gave us the Holy Spirit to reside within us. He gave us his Word I mean, think about that. We, I mean, we could maybe not have the Bible. There, there are people in the world today who still don't have a Bible in their own language. That's just, I can't even understand that. And if we fall, if we fail, it's not God's fault. It's our fault because of the choices that we make. And so we need to make sure we understand 
Saul's story, the, the kind of the arc of his story, you might say, is one of rising and then falling. But the Bible tells us that it's almost the opposite for Christians because in James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will what? He will rise, raise you up. So the arc for the Christian is, you know what? <laughs> Low. You're humble. You start at the bottom, and God will ultimately raise us up. Well, next week, we're going to look at Saul, Saul, uh, chapter 16, where David is actually selected to be king. And so we're going to look at that next, next week.